I'm so glad to see that you're feeling better. You had a very close call. But you're gonna be all right. Now, just lie still. I'm gonna give you something. It's gonna make you feel even better. Dicks. Musical Musical fun time. Time. <laughs> My name is D. Frank and I love to say I got a big old dick and I do a lot of yay. I'm feeling real good when I'm in the spot. Sticking my dick up in your top knot. Talking about, talking about, talking about what, what, that but you what, or what you want. Uh-uh, I'm gonna stick. My dirty dick, oh, oh, I'm get my music in your throat, episode, bro. I'm feeling flow, what you know about them dirty hoes, dick fatty is, gonna shoot his load, all up in your bitch, all up in your bro, I don't care who, who it is, as long as they got a hoe, hoe, alright, 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 my name is Frank, and I came to start a fight, what up, what up, what up, what up, what, gonna shoot my dirty, stanky nut, all up in your booty hole, all up in your dirt slut, Working that butt rut, really? you, that. You had a butt rhyme right there and you chose not to do it. You're the butt. You're the butt. Let's do this thing, dog. Are you ready? I'm ready. I'm ready. Welcome to the Bearded Dicks Musical Fun Time. I'm Ben the Beardo and... Nah. S- what? What were you going to say? I was going to say sitting across from me is Dick oh, Fetty. Dick so Fetty. Ugh. And it's ready. Ready to shoot that fetty all over like confetti from the sky. One, two, here comes the goo. They call me Sky Daddy for a reason. Thank you for the sky. Thank you for the wet cummy Sky Daddy. That's what I say when it rains. Mmm. Mmm. I bet you do. So, Dick Fetty, what is your disco box? Recommendations. Mm. Alrighty, alrighty, alrighty. So we're here all nighty. We're broadcasting live. No, hold on. You want to hear my old sign-in for my radio station? Sure. Okay. You're listening to Exit Ritual here. No, what is it? How'd it go? It's time to smoke them if you got them. If you got pills, pop them. You're listening to Exit Ritual here at the Mary Greeton Center broadcasting live from... Ah, fuck. I fucked it up. Anyways, I might edit that out. I might keep it in. I used to run a radio show at college, because of course I did. And, uh, yeah, my first disco box recommendation... You're the worst. I am the worst. So, being the worst, I cannot change my tune. Uh, I am still very much in this drum and bass zone. And it's unusual for me to be hooked on phonics for this long, honestly. I mean, you know, it's normally two weeks. I'm in and out of something, you know? Occasionally it's longer, but it's normally like a month top. It's been a month and a half at this point. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's been since the beginning of September. It's true. It's true. I'm into it. You gave me a drum and bass record, and I was real happy about it. It's not even, and that's not even proper drum and bass. That's like that experimental techno meets drum and bass. It's it's UVB 76. It's what they do. It's yeah. that, that, that strange meld. And my first record is... Well, it's on UV, UVB76's label. No way. Yeah, sub-label. 
new sub-label called 4625. Which is like a regular label, but below it? Below it, yeah. Sub-label. Yeah, so this record came out earlier this year. Uh, the artist is 4625, which is also the name of the sub-label. Interestingly, so I talked about last time UVB76 being one of the number stations from the 80s where we had all these weird radio stations broadcasting uh, rando signals and things like that. They could be words, they could be tones, etc., etc. So spooky spy stuff. Exactly. So 4625 refers to the frequency of the UVB76 radio station. Mm -hmm. So it's actually... If you know anything about either, it's like a little, it's an interesting, it's basically the same name for the same thing. It's just the the station um, kilohertz frequency. So when I figured that out, I was like, oh, interesting, smart. And the release itself is the first release on the sublabel, the only thing on the sublabel so far, and is an anonymous group project of all the people or some of the people involved with... Uh, UVB76. Now, one of them is this newer artist, Karim, Karim Moss, who did one of the most recent EPs that came out earlier this year on UVB76. Be, I, I assume that because the last song on this EP is remixed on his new EP, so I'm going to guess he had a hand in it. There's speculation that Overlook is in it, Gremlins is in it, because he's the one who runs the label, and potentially, it could be Stave, it could be Pessimist. It's really unknown. People think it might be all the guys in Rough House, which is um, the guy from Pessimist and two other dudes. It doesn't really matter. What you get is essentially what you'd expect from UVB76, where it's this very dark, sooty drum and bass that's... It's minimal in a certain way. Like, it's not your old big room drum and bass tunes. But as far as... The amount of interesting sounds and atmospherics and, and, and drum programming going into all this, it's not really, like, it's minimal, but it, to me it's not that minimal. Like, minimal is what I think of, like, Raster Noten, where it's just, like, literal bleeps and bloops, old Millie Plateau stuff. That's it's, all, it's, like... It's, it's a bit more stripped down than minimal. Yeah, no, that's probably the better way to describe it. But the, the new genre that they're calling all this shit is minimal drum and bass, which is, like, in the endless need for stores to have a way to categorize things in order to sell them better that's what they've come up with which is a little bit lacking in originality and this ep is awesome because it's basically three heavy fucking drum and bass ish songs and one sort of not ambient but like noisy ambient sound experiment type of thing where it's basically it sounds like it's an mc he's calling security to the dj booth and it's over like some spooky atmospheric stuff. As far as spooky atmospherics goes, the sample to me is so mundane almost. It's odd given the label using generally like much more esoteric spooky ambience. Like I'm surprised that that's what they go with. Right. But I mean, you've heard the record now several times. I've brought it over a lot lately. Pretty much been listening to it regularly. And the first track is like a big straight up like heavy like like really steely drums, heavy bass, drum and bass track. The second one starts off with this much more almost techno vibe where it's this like TikTok type of like percussion synth type of a thing and then the beat kicks in and it's the it's the one that's like like literally just sounds like like for the first two and a half minutes and then 
the fucking beat comes and you're like, oh, okay. Yeah, real creeping, real creepy. Yeah, yeah, good shit. And then the uh, first side, the first track on the, the B side is another big ass fucking, like, not really, it's like half step drum and bass basically, almost with like a little bit of a UK bass kind of an edge and really good. All three of the main songs are like eight minutes long, which I fucking love. Like, if it's gonna be good, why not make it longer? Right. I mean, unless it's grindcore or power violence. But when it comes to electronic music, most of the time, I feel like if you're hitting a really good groove, like, fucking give it to me. And these songs are nice because they mutate, but they also, like, are able to fucking continually hit you in a, in a like, really just satisfying way. Um, I'm sure it would be excellent for DJing, but it, it's really good shit for home listening. And... We spent, I spent a good chunk of time in our last episode talking about DXM. Again, I have to say, like, I don't do drugs anymore, but I would do drugs to this. <laughs> so, so that would be uh, recommendation number uno. That's one in Italian. And, um. Is it? Could be. <laughs> um. Uh, that's number one in card game lingo. Mm. Don't you know anything? No, you're right, you're right. So then my next recommendation, I'm gonna. I'm going to go a little bit out of order in terms of genres. So my next one's kind of a, a sort of weird one, important one to me. So it is the soundtrack to the video game Wipeout XL, which is a PlayStation 1 video game. It's about futuristic racing floating car type things. And it's like F-Zero if F-Zero didn't suck dick. Whoa, whoa, yeah. whoa. Oh, no, I'm saying it. Oh. F-Zero is way lame in comparison to Wipeout XL. So there's a couple of huge things that make Wipeout XL amazing before I get to the soundtrack. The main one being that the whole game was designed with the Designers Republic, which is a design studio in the UK that did tons of the artwork for Warp Records in like their golden era up into the late 90s. And they still do some stuff, a lot less now. But for like all of the um, like the main like when IDM became a thing. A huge part of that was the visual representation, which all came from the Designers Republic, who just, mm -hmm. like, encapsulated this super cool, futuristic vibe that, like, you know, they would meld their imagery to work with the artists, but they always had, like, a very distinctive style that was just, like, it was, it was, like, the name encapsulated perfect. It was, like, the, just this cool avant-ish, like, very stylish, very modern 90s in a way that mostly hasn't been dated also some of the 3d generated shit is extremely dated but a lot of like they're just now? really ps1 oh, graphics dated no yeah no but um anyways so the game looks incredible from like a graphic design standpoint the menus fucking look good the ship designs are cool as crap the logos are cool as crap it was my initial exposure to red bull before it was a big thing here in america they had, like, all these Red Bull advertisements in the game, and I was like, that seems like a cool drink for cool kids, and later on, I was, it, it was in fact true, and, um, and, and I guess, like, that's, I mean, the, the gameplay itself is super fun, I still own White Belt XL, I still play it, I break it out every couple of years, and I'm like, this game fucking rules, and then I get to the late stages where it gets super ridiculously fast, and I'm like, this game's impossibly hard, and, uh, yeah. And the, the biggest thing of all, though, was this game came out in 1996, and I was living in Kansas, I was eight years old, and it blew my tiny mind just because of its speed and complexity and all the rest. I was not very good at it. But it also had the coolest soundtrack I'd ever heard, because... You were eight years old, so it's probably more like, floating cars go fast, yeah! I was a little bit more sophisticated than that. I was probably mm -hmm. like, floating flying cars go fast, I guess. 
or whatever. I don't know. I'm so cool and aloof. No, I was not aloof at that point. I was I was genuine in my excitement. There was a it was a different time. And you know, as a kid as a kid generally, like this music would be really cool because you're not going to clubs at eight. But as a kid in Kansas who's like, you know, only had the earliest access to the internet but like not knowing how to do anything other than like play stupid games on it and whatever like it was it took me out of wichita kansas and put me in this like super cool cyber future that like messed with all the sci-fi stuff i was already getting into and i was like this is like the coolest music i've ever heard it's like cool cyberpunk future stuff like this is what cool cool dudes in the future dude that are like totally adults and not eight and and it was comprised of like the big names in British electronic music at the time because the studio that designed Wipeout XL created the game. Psygnosis was based in London. They were like the offshoot of Sony's, like they were owned by Sony and they were a big developer for them. And uh, the soundtrack has Fotec, who's in like one of the most famous early drum and bass artists. It has The Prodigy, it has The Chemical Brothers, it has Future Sound of London, it has Fluke. Underworld and uh, the uh, in-house artist Cold Storage from Psygnosis. And so at eight years old, I heard We Have Explosive by Future Sound of London, which is one of their heaviest, like most techno tracks. Also in the intro, they have Heard Killing, which is a remix of the same song, but right. wasn't on the soundtrack. Um, that was fucking awesome. And then... Fluke is a band. They're one of the only bands. They're basically the only band from the soundtrack that I never really got more into. But they have two killer tracks on there called V6 and Atom Bomb. Um, and then Chemical Brothers it was my first exposure. It was the songs on it are from in between their first album and their second album, uh, Dig Your Own Hole, which has the incredible block rock and beats that I think a lot of us know. Like that was a song that was so popular that it was on TRL and shit like that. And the Prodigy's Firestarter, but the instrumental version because the game was rated E for everyone. Let me let me ask you a question. What sure. what year did the game come out? Ninety six. Ninety six. September okay. ninety six. I just the thing I always found out or found out found interesting about Wipeout and its soundtrack is the simple fact that you know you, you have games like Tony Hawk's Pro Skater and like that influence, brought influence generations. Right. That brought like soundtracks from actual bands and are were some of the few games that you could look back and be like, that was a good soundtrack. But Tony Hawk and all that stuff like that, all those games that were like extreme sports were very more mainstream, I want to say, with music. Not like radio music, but like, you know, like... It was pop punk, skate punk stuff. Yeah, ACDC too, like stuff that people knew. Yeah. Whereas Wipeout was a lot less geared towards the listening of American kids let's say yeah and i think really did revolutionize music and gaming for a little while at least yeah i think that it's one of those games where i mean a lot of games have like almost strictly electronic music soundtracks but they're made by composers who do this stuff for right. the games eric brosius who did the soundtrack for system shock 2 which came out a couple years later um was hugely influenced by british drum and bass and was another game that like had a massive that soundtrack had a massive influence on my listening habits although i didn't Realized it at the time because I only ever had the demo, which had a selection of the songs. But I'm pretty sure also he either used music from the usual suspects or they were uncredited and on the soundtrack. But like I was getting exposure to drum and bass at such an early age that this whole obsession now, like I talked about it when I did my whole Tekich review. 
I've been into drum and bass for a really long time, and it's like I got first exposed when I was eight. Like I was pretty much doomed, and um, yeah, it was definitely different in the sense of you had electronic music, but they were big name real artists that, and especially in the late '90s, there was this short period where for a long time we never thought it was going to come back, and then you got Skrillex and all the things that happened with like American dubstep happened, and now EDM is like a genre and a thing people understand and know and go to festivals for. But before that was a thing, the closest there was to it and was the precursor for it was the Prodigy and Chemical Brothers. They brought this big rock-influenced sound um, that became, like, massive, multi-platinum, like, you know, world tours, multi-platinum albums and world tours that sold out across the globe. I mean, if you ever see videos of the Prodigy performing live in Russia, it's insane. It feels like the entire country has gone to see the Prodigy, and they are fucking hyped about it. And Chemical Brothers, like, you know, they their literal sound is called Big Beat. I mean, that's the genre. Yeah. It's like, and it is fucking big. And, you know, for me, like, a lot of this stuff, now I listen to it, and especially, like, Chemical Brothers and the Prodigy, it's, like, so brash to my ears compared to, like, the minimal spooky drum and bass I listen to <laughs> and whatever. But also, like, The Fat of the Land is a fucking rad album. Like, it may be kind of dumb, but it's also, like, pretty fucking rad. And the Chemical Brothers, like, made really good music for, like, well, what was a ton of drug use for me early on. But, like, just, like, hyped up big, you know, big music sounds that were, like, in sick movies and all that shit. And uh, the coolest thing about PS1 games were that a lot of them, if they had soundtracks on them you could put the game in your CD player and then the first song was the data from the game and if you skipped over that, the rest of it was all the music on the soundtrack and White Bell XL was one of those games and I found that out and was like, this is the coolest thing ever. And of course, I mean, it was years before iTunes existed or I had any program where I could take the music off, but for the majority of my life, well, for like at least half of my life, a disc man was always attached to my hip or yeah, in my, my hoodie pocket or stuffed into my Jankos or whatever. And so all of my CDs are scratched to hell because they were bounced around every which fucking way and angle and all that. Amazingly, Wipeout still works as a game. Like, it still is pretty playable. It occasionally glitches. But, um, yeah, the soundtrack was just... It was, it was huge for me. And it's like, going back to it now, even if you set nostalgia so- aside... I mean, they basically picked front-runner artists and their best songs, but they picked their best songs. These are incredible. And the, the Chemical Brothers songs, specifically, Dust Up Beats is really a really good B-side that doesn't make it on... <clears throat> it's on one of, like, the more obscure singles. But Loops of Fury got its own single CD, and that song fucking rules. And it's, like, the perfect song for Wipeout XL because, like, I'm just fucking doing Loops of Fury and my spaceship just going, like, mad <laughs> fast and shit. And, uh... The soundtrack was so cool, and they enlisted so many artists that some of them didn't make it onto the actual game, and they did a separate uh, soundtrack release for the game that basically had all the songs from the soundtrack, except for Dust Up Beats got taken off and replaced by uh, Leave Home, remixed by Underworld, and I think that's the only change, but on the um, commercial retail soundtrack... Source Direct, who I just talked about two episodes ago, has a track on there from their fucking golden period of, like, later Source Direct, where it was still, like, when it got really spooky. Orbital is on there with, like, the only song I really ever really liked by Orbital called Petrol, which is also in the movie Pie by Darren Aronofsky, his directorial debut, and uh, has Afro Ride by Left Field, which was a band I never really got into. They were sort of 
too too ethno sounding for me um but i think of all the things to point to on this soundtrack as standouts is the the most obscure of all of it which is fotex the third sequence which was again probably the first conscious like knowing drum and bass song i ever heard it's also the most unusual song in all of fotex discography even compared to his like uh, when he went and did a house album in 2000, it, it's, it is like 10 shades darker than anything else he ever put out. It's easily to me, the best song. And again, not just because of nostalgia, but because it like speaks to like my general, like of darker drum and bass. It has a really interesting, um, like very industrial palette and the drums are like, it's just way more like this clanking fucked up dark machine. It's, really cool it does not follow a normal drum and bass um song dynamics and i was really lucky to pick up the 12 inch release version of it that's backed with the song titan that's on the commercial version of the soundtrack uh that was put out by astral works virgin science whatever and um it now sells for like 50 bucks and up i got my copy for like eight dollars nice. and then literally months later like two three months later there was a sudden huge surge in Fotech and all of his old 12 inches went from being like dirt cheap to worth, you know, 40, 50 bucks and upwards. Um, and that it, it's one of those songs that I've returned to. Like I can remember listening to it on the playground in middle school on my, my CD player. And then last night I'm listening to it on my, you know, fancy headphones laying in bed thinking like I'm listening to the Ripton B3 from my game of White Belt XL that I've owned now for 22 years. So... Yeah, pretty good soundtrack as far as I'm concerned. And uh, an awesome snapshot of electronic music in 1996. Well, thank you, Dick Fetty. Yeah, that's my dissertation on Wipeout XL. That was beautiful. Wipeout, they did a more recent Wipeout for PS3 that was really good. I don't remember which one it is. I think it's like five or six at this point. Uh, I would definitely recommend that one. It was fun. It still doesn't compare to the first game. Like, even though the graphics aren't are way better the aesthetics of the first game unparalleled soundtrack unparalleled like the third game went had sasha and digweed because that was when trance was like blowing up and i was really into trance at the time but it was still like that soundtrack just paled in comparison but you can get white belt XL for super cheap and as long as you have a ps2 buy that shit and play that shit it is a fucking solid ass racing game that seriously holds up with really good mechanics hell yeah so <clears throat> Not only was it a disco box, but it was also a Best Buy box. Yeah, one of the ultimate buys. Let's close that. Skeer! No! Oh, I saw one, one, one more recommendation. Oh, I thought, I'm sorry, I thought you only had the two. We'll edit all this out. Oh, no, 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 we're going to leave it out because oh, we're cutting this bastard back open. <laughs> all right. So last thing, and I'll, I'll keep this one brief. Um, last one's a drum and bass album. Really? Yeah, I know. Shocker. <laughs> and there, there's a duo called Blocks and Escher. They started, I think, about six or eight years ago. Right. They do, again, tech step in a style that's very reminiscent of late 90s. Uh, Metalheads and basically like a Metalheads type of a tech step. A little bit like Ed Rush Optical kind of stuff, but way warmer. They're, they run a label called Narratives. It's really good stuff. It was one of the releases on it, Concealed Identity. That artist takes his name from a track from the Source Directs 
Exercise the Demons album. Again, another going back to that one. Um, I When I first got really back into drum and bass two years ago, I picked up that release, Concealed Identities release, and then subsequently checked out these older Blocks and Escher releases on their own label. They're phenomenal. Sadly, most of them are super out of print and very expensive. Their, their first couple 12 inches on the label are, like, fucking so good. And it's it's they're one of those uh, artists that they are able to capture the sound and vibe of something old while bringing it into the modern with uh, cleaner production, incredibly good mastering, and very much their own unique spin on it. Like, it's you hear it and you're like, oh, fuck, it's the spirit of 98. But then it's like better than that because they're they're able to like do things that at the time would have been a little bit uncool and they they sort of marry like metalheads aesthetic with with the groove rider and almost a little bit of LTJ Bukum it sort of got this intelligent D and B angle maybe a little bit of Omni Trio but not quite as melodic right um, and 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 they do it with these drums that are like acoustic but like blocky sort of like the artist's name and but but interesting and, and again like very like detailed and precise and and they're just like really beautiful tracks to listen to and i was surprised myself because i completely missed that this their now debut album something blue came out earlier this year it dropped in march there's a digital version which is 11 tracks and there's a vinyl version which is a double lp that's six songs and then there was a separate lp sampler released with three different songs on it so only two of the tracks haven't made it to vinyl. Uh, I don't own it physically yet. I just have the digital download. Uh, but I heard it in June, right before I went on my trip. And I was going to put it on my iPod to listen to it while I was traveling. And then I forgot before I left. And I sort of forgot I had it. And a couple of weeks ago, it popped up on my hard drive. And I was like, oh shit, I got to check this out more. So I played some... Uh, near automata to it Mm -hmm. when i first got it and was really feeling it but then it's it's really good and the tracks definitely have their own vibes but it does just a tiny bit get a little samey in the middle because there's like three songs in a row where there's heavy female vocals which i normally like but they come right after one another it works in as far as the flow but they sort of blend a little too much for me but the first three songs are like, each one's better than the last. The real album highlight for my taste is the third track, which is called Breaking the Waves. Um, it's like very warm, has these gorgeous like squiggly scents that are sort of Blade Runner 2049 meets original Blade Runner meets Metalheads. It's, it's like the whole, the album artwork is like the ocean, it's white and it's blues. The whole album like has this very much like summertime ocean but not being at the jersey shore more like being off the on the coast of maine mm-hmm. su- super far north and isolated like it's sunny and there are seagulls but it's not like fun at the beach with ice cream it's like contemplative and 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 maybe like music i would drown my spouse to in like a sailing accident but also like <laughs> like i could be like driving down like the the interstate one or route one rather in, in california just as easily and like my drop top porsche it's it's good music it's very cinematic but not in like a overblown pretentious way it, it just sounds like it just makes you think about being a rich man who gets away with murdering his wife yeah i could say that i mean we were listening to it for a minute 
uh, while we were playing Dark Souls, and it was pretty nice for that, but it would definitely be better for a brighter game. Um, but I listened to it last night. It really got clinched for me last night. I was feeling pretty sick, so I just decided I'll lay down in my air-conditioned bedroom with my headphones on and just, like, chill out to this album. And when you're really actively listening to it, the sort of small evolutions and growth in the songs show themselves and you're like oh shit like oh that's a really nice like way they just sort of key it up in certain places and like it's not heavy dnb like it never has huge drops like the synths aren't like super techy or aggressive or anything like that it's very much like it's got way so much of a warmer edge than than most of what i like it, really like a jazz influence and, and a bit of a noir vibe to it uh, there is one later album highlight called Emerald that gets on the much darker version. The, it, the tempo's up a little bit. The percussion's way heavier. It's got like a lot more of a, not even aggro, but like sinister vibe to it. Right. But on the whole, it's like smoke a little weed, have sex with your girl kind of music. Like, you know, do, do some driving in your Porsche, you know? Um, I really, I'm really into it. I'm going to pick up the physical copy and I won't be shocked if this makes my top 10 at the end of the year. I'm really, really feeling it more and more. And right now, it's still very much in print and very reasonably priced. So, big recommendation on that. Hell yeah. All right. I'll let you close it this time. Because I preemptively closed it. <laughs> that lock's going to break one day and it's going to be hell in here. Yeah. So, before I get to my best buy... Unfortunately, I haven't had any time to watch any truly terrible horror movies, so I, I, I haven't had a bad buy in a little while. Although we did watch Halloween H2O recently. Mm, maybe I'll do that next. That was a musical worst buy. Fun time, yeah. But there's something that has been on my mind that I, I, I want to talk about, but we'll get to that in a second. I wanted to update my previous Best Buy on Spider-Man. I did finish the game, mm -hmm. as you well know, Dick Fetty. Mm -hmm. I did platinum it. Mm -hmm. Which is probably one of the easier games to platinum. You don't have to be on it hard or anything. There were some things I wanted to touch on before I completely put that Best Buy to bed. I still 110% you should go out and buy the game and play it. It's a lot of fun. Uh, it's not particularly challenging, which is fine. I've played plenty of challenging games. This isn't one of them. It's just a lot of fun. The But... Along with that word, challenge. The challenge missions were my least favorite part of this game. They are... There there are people out there, and I'm sure find them fun and enjoyable, but my whole thing with the game is it's fun to swing around and beat people up. That's what the game's about, swinging around and beating up bad guys. And this, the, the challenge stuff takes just precision and continuously doing the same thing over and over and over and over again, which you can argue is exactly what the combat is, but it, it just wasn't for me, and I've played challenge modes in other games that have been a lot more fun. Big, big uh, recommendation from earlier, a uh, few episodes upon episodes ago, was Mario Odyssey. That game has these little challenge race missions, which were a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, these were not fun for me. I know. I saw you play them, and I, I tried one myself. Not a good time. No. And they're, they're just like, as far as the flow of the rest of the game, they they don't really fit in. I, I think some of the science missions are also ridiculously boring and stupid, but... Yeah, I had, I had a little bit of fun with those, but those were the things that, to me, 
were like the biggest glaring issue just for me. Yeah. Because it, it did kind of like take me out of the game and for me it made the game not fun. Uh, I know a lot of people are talking about how the Mary Jane missions and the Miles Morales missions were not fun. I enjoyed them. They were short. There was one in there where you're essentially using Spider-Man as your stealth kill, which was fucking awesome. So mm. I still think play the game, but tonight my best buy is going to be a little comic by Junji Ito. By Junji Ito, who I would definitely say is probably my favorite manga artist. Not necessarily my favorite manga None of his are necessarily my favorite manga. Maybe some of them. But his but, art style. But his art style, just his artwork, is probably my favorite. I love horror manga in general. It's very unique. Yeah. It, Perfect it, for the subject matter. It's, it's a lot of it's very feminine in nature, but also he goes very Cronenberg-y with his body horror stuff, which I love. But anyway, the specific manga I'm talking about is... Uzumaki, which was published from 1998 to 1999 in Big Comic Spirits. And Classic. it ran for three issues. It takes place in this small country town in Japan where essentially Uzumakis, which is the Japanese word for spiral, are infecting this town and making people go crazy and all. There's all this gross stuff. And the thing I like about a lot of Junji Ito's stuff outside of Gyo is a lot of his longer stuff can be condensed down to like individual chapters that could stand alone as their own thing and are really good. There's a lot of really good short stories he's done, like just little one shots of stuff. Yeah, which he, is, he's done a bunch of, they've done, now done really nice hardcover versions or collections of his short stories. He's got like three or four of them now. Because yeah. he's, he's pretty prolific. He just keeps on going and, yeah. and putting out good shit. And he did he his new anime, which I think is still running, which I know you haven't seen. I've seen some of it. It's great. It's great. It's just all his short stories. It's absolutely phenomenal. It's really creepy. It captures his art style, which I very much appreciate, which mm. can kind of get lost in translation when it comes to anime. Yeah. I mean, obviously, it is a bit different because... He's even his stuff that he does with like watercolors when he does like his cover art or anything, it never looks as good as his stuff in black and white, but they do capture his art style in it. Yeah, no, he's a master of like framing in using the comic book framing style with like just doing minimal black and white. Like, he conveys so much, especially for like what the kind of horror that he does, like, it works so effectively. Yeah, and Uzumaki was my first introduction to it, and it was before I was really into horror manga, but I don't, I, I don't think I've ever talked about this on the show. My introduction to manga was Naruto. I don't care who knows or who what you have to say about it. I fucking love Naruto. Suck my dick. Mm -hmm. I like ninjas. But my mom had bought me a Shonen Jump magazine and I, I read the first few chapters of Naruto in that and it got me into manga and I remember it's no longer around but there used to be a bookstore called Borders and their manga section was incredible it was a whole giant ass wall they had really like obscure stuff which now I guess Barnes and Noble's starting to get now but it was they had stuff that you couldn't find anywhere else except online or like really niche comic book stores and I picked up a copy of Uzumaki 
because Naruto's last name is Uzumaki. So I picked this up and I was like, what is this? And I was like, mom, buy me this. And I brought it home and I read it and it blew my tiny fucking mind. The, the series starts out really small and then ramps up and ramps up and then just punches you in the fucking nuts towards yeah. the end. It, it never de-escalates. No, no, it never de-escalates. And it's very much Lovecraft. Like, the, yeah. the, the arc of it and the whole nature of it, like, the inexplicable weirdness and, and like, unrepentant negativity... It's and and I, one of the things that I really like in all of his stories is that he's not um, sentimental about his characters. No. Anybody can die, and they probably will. And and he's like, just the grossness gets increasing. Like it just gets worse every every single page. Yeah. You know? And my other thing, and this is more generally about his writing style versus. Uzumaki itself, although it is in Uzumaki, he never feels the need to explain a goddamn thing. He's just like, this is horrifying, these people are experiencing it, these are the things that are happening, fucking strap yeah. your dicks in, because we're going for a fucking ride. Yeah, yeah. You basically, you get what he's going to give you, and you don't necessarily get a lot of, like, he doesn't make any effort to like bring you into the world as far as... Uh, like suspending your disbelief or like building you into it or giving you a bunch of lore like it's just like this is now the world you're in in this manga and like if you're not into it like you're not gonna be into any of it and if you are then like you're gonna fucking love it yeah it's I, I think we we might have mentioned him on our Edo Gerdo episode but probably did um, I really hope I haven't reviewed this I thought I might have but I couldn't find anything in my notes yeah, on any of our did. episodes maybe you did for that but whatever but it it doesn't matter the, the, the comic is is great it's Definitely a must-buy. How much did you... You bought it at Barnes & Noble, right? How much did you buy it for? Yeah, I think it was, like, between 20 and 30 bucks. And I might have even ordered it on Amazon, which is essentially the same thing. But it's nice because I blazed through it pretty quick. I got it last November. I finished it on Thanksgiving, and that was fun. I just ignored my family and was like, I'm fucking finishing this book right now. And, uh... Which is kind of a dick move. But... Whatever. Anyways, I really enjoyed it. Like, the way that he ends it is so satisfying because it's not what you expect. And, I mean, what should you expect by the end of that comic? But it's really good. Uh, the thing that I will say, one of the reasons I really prefer it, and I think one of the reasons why a lot of people can get into it uh, first as far as his body of work goes is that, uh, especially with Tomei, which is his, like, long-running series and... Like, Tomei... So I read the entire Tomei anthology from front to back pretty quickly. And the stories are very similar at times. And the way he writes dialogue can be extremely similar to the point where it was like... By the end, I'm like, okay, what can you give me? Like, what's new? Like, it, it got a little repetitive. And was probably... I would have been better served reading it over a longer period of time. Because he wrote it over, like, 20 years. Whereas Uzumaki is... A complete arc and there's less of that and his short stories also avoid that because they're just that and yeah. Gyo is again short so it avoids Gyo that. is very short well it's like I think it's three volumes I mean it's, it's not so no, so short the one you have is the one I gave you is the full collection no it's not it's not no it's only half oh, I think sure. it's at least only half there's there's two if not three okay well 
Gyo is also very good, but we're here to talk about Izumaki. Yeah. I mean, if you like horror, and that that Gyo anime was fucking rad. Yeah, it is rad. Unfortunately, from what I understand, the movie for Uzumaki is absolute garbage. Yeah. If you like anime and you like horror, I'm. The artwork for Uzumaki is probably his most prolific and most. You mean his most famous? Yeah. Yeah. It's what people have probably seen the most. There's a very famous panel where a girl's head opens up into a spiral. There's a chapter... I have that in a huge back patch on my leather vest. I bought after reading it and then sewing that into my leather vest, which was a thumb-destroying experience. Yeah. But totally worth it because it's super cool. Uh, There, um... There's a really good chapter where, essentially, this girl's hair comes to life. Oh, my God, that... There's an anime-like battle. Just I, I suggest reading it. I'm not going to talk about my favorite chapter in it, which is also the grossest. I'm sure you can tell what it is. Yep. Ah. So um, go out, read it. You can actually get it. I'm assuming this is if you have Prime, because I do have Prime, and it crossed it out. Or maybe maybe they're just discounting. I don't know. But on Amazon right now, it's $16.74. And I do read a lot of manga, and usually I won't recommend buying it because it's very expensive, and you can tear through it very quickly, which you can with this, but this this is is so worth it. This is essential manga reading, just because the art is so good and so detail-oriented. It's it's both masculine and feminine, but like just his body, he does really well with body horror stuff. And not to get off topic of Uzumaki, but one of my favorite short stories by him, I can't remember what it's called. Essentially, this guy starts seeing this monstrous woman, and he's trying to treat her nicely and, like, look past... Essentially, the the moral of the story is, sometimes, sometimes, if people look like monsters, they are. Not all the time, but sometimes. And this guy's trying to look past this horribly, just giant, evil-looking woman... And he's making a movie, and he invites her out to the like film with them. And she's like definitely a fucking monster. She's like eight feet tall, has giant sharp teeth. And they invite her out, and he's he's everyone's like, dude, she's fucking terrifying. We should get rid of her. And he's like, no, it's fine, it's fine. Don't act like that. Don't act like that. And she ends up beating everybody in the crew. Awesome. And it's just his artwork is really good. If you're interested, just type in Junji Ito in Google Image Search. And if you see it and you listen to our podcast and you like the type of stuff we do, you will immediately go out and buy this comic. Yeah, and I would say, honestly, don't even Google his... Maybe look at a picture or two, but I had lots of panels of Uzumaki spoiled for me in advance by being on Reddit or Imgur yeah. and other sites like that. So, like, I saw that whole the girl's face spiral thing way before I ever read it. And, it, I mean, it doesn't really diminish the effect, but, like, most of it I had never seen and was... Surprised, and it gets so crazy. You don't want to sort of spoil some of the incredibly gross twists. Yes. <laughs> nice. Yeah, if if you will. So I think you're on a cinnamon roll because they're they're spiraling. <laughs> the oh. the issue I am recommending is the Uzumaki three in one deluxe edition. It includes everything, including. I don't know how many of our readers read a lot of manga, but a lot of artists will like do like really simple drawings of themselves at like the end of each like issue or something and they have all of that in the back and it's super fucking funny and weird yeah 
so yeah, $16.74 on Amazon right now. Can't beat that. For something that has, how many pages is this? 300 page? plus. 300 plus, according to Dick Fetty. Uh, it's worth the fucking buy. Go out and get it. Yeah. And that's all I have, Dick Fetty. Well, excellent. I couldn't agree more with that recommendation. And uh, as always, we just want to say thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, you know, we love doing this. We're, we're really enjoying this split episode, double episode format. Um, you know, if you like what we do, hit us with a rate and review on iTunes Store. Uh, subscribe to us on SoundCloud. Check out our Instagram. Check out our Facebook page. I think Ben the Beardo is going to be getting a gram soon. Going to be getting an Instagrammy. So I am. Tag him in all these hot memes he's been pumping out. And also flood him with dick pics. So. Boot pics, dick pics. I just, I want to see got people any, naked. Yeah, if you've I'm got a gross appendage, then, uh, you know, send it our way. If you want to send us a picture of your cat or dog, that's fine too. Yeah, and if anybody wants to fight me on my F-Zero comment, bring it the fuck on. And if anybody's ever played White Belt XL and agrees that White Belt XL is like one of the best racing games ever made, then hit us with uh, some comments and on... And Dick Fetty will come to your house and actually blow you. Yeah, no. But uh, hit he us will. on social media. And, yeah, stay cool or don't. We 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 don't. It, it doesn't really matter. Yeah, we don't. We We're don't having care. fun. I don't yeah. care. So, later, nerds. Later, nerds.